When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and is now officially a turmeric-free zone. I'm Kevin Day, he's Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Seriously, Kieran, we've covered some controversial stories on this pod. We've accused individuals, we've accused individuals and organisations of corruption in public, but it turns out crossing the turmeric community was a big, big mistake. Since our brief mention of Swansea City's turmeric partners, I've been getting all sorts of grief from, from people I know. And and in, in a quite sinister fashion, I was approached by three separate turmeric suppliers. This, I did, I, and all, I, all I'm going to... I'm going to say this again. Don't do it, kids. Don't you, It starts with turmeric, and before you know, it's it's cinnamon. So it's just... <laughs> I've, I've never known a, a story, Kieran, I thought was one of the lightest, should we even talk about it? And it's, I, was, I was pelted by people. I know people sent me pictures of their little turmeric shots and oh dear lord. (laughs) Incredible, Um, incredible. I know, I know. Anyway, later in the show, uh, as you know, Kieran, it's almost like I'm telling you, but you were involved. uh, We'll be hearing from Juggy Chima, who's founder of the reforged Leamington and Warwick Coventry City Supporters Club, which is the first Coventry Supporters Club to be refounded or created since the early 80s, which is brilliant. And they basically wanted to talk to us about the more nuanced relationship with Sisu than we we believed was available. But I mainly wanted to talk about a famous pub in Coventry, as you'll find out. But before that, Kieran, it's 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 Newsday. It's now, and be still my beating heart, Kieran. Sheffield Wednesday have published some accounts. Yes, yes, they have, and uh, they they contain lots of uh, numbers going up and down and sideways. Uh, they're, they're losing over half a million pounds a week from on a day to day basis. The a week, the, a week, yeah, oh, yeah. Really? But, but that's that's the norm yeah. in the championship. It's a lunatic division. Uh, but uh, yeah, they, they the 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 sale of Hillsborough, which had gone through in twenty eighteen, they decided wasn't going to go through in twenty eighteen. They're going to switch it to 2019 instead. But the good news for uh, Sheffield Wednesday appears to be um, a mysterious receipt of six and a half million pounds, which was uh, uh, something to do with a a confidential settlement. And the the finger is pointing towards their biggest ever sale of a 59-year-old centre-half called Steve Bruce. (laughs) So nobody's... Nobody's confirming what the what the money's for, but of course, Steve Bruce resigned from from Sheffield Wednesday in uh, in July 2019 and, and ended up at Newcastle. And, and Sheffield Wednesday were very unhappy. He was contracted to them, so therefore they demanded compensation. Um, so if this money is for Steve Bruce and apparently the two other Steves as well, who who are part of his coaching staff. And it is this six and a half million pounds. It's it is a, it's a phenomenal sum. Newcastle are pushing back on the story, but uh, you know nobody can work out what else it could possibly be. So it's it's just conjecture. You can't they they don't have to specify what it is. No, because it says it's a confidential uh, settlement. So you know, people go, well, what could it be? They think of all the all the main things that they're aware that has happened with uh, with Sheffield Wednesday o- over the course of that year, and and it certainly ties in on on the time frame. So uh, you know, if so, uh, a fantastic piece of negotiation. Uh, 
But uh, looking at social media in terms of the reaction from Newcastle fans who seem convinced that this is the story, uh, they are less than impressed. Uh, but, but, you know, Steve Bruce does have a, he does have a habit of, uh, sort of disappearing from one club to another. Well, he did. He he did it with with Palace first of all. Um, so I won't I won't sing you the Steve Bruce song because it's entirely not appropriate for a pod that has listeners under the age of eighteen. Um, what what do HMRC and and Companies House think of things that are just late, that are in the accounts but are just marked confidential? They're, they're not they're not bothered. Um, oh, com, com, Companies House that they they just literally. Uh, Collect the account, stamp them, and, and stick stick them up on the internet. And HMRC, uh, you know, a, a bit like uh, and looking at the accounts of any company, they'll just say, "Could you give us a bit more detail on that?" Uh, if if we think that there's a problem, but given that Sheffield Wednesday have lost uh, tens and tens of millions of pounds uh, in recent years, there's no chance of them paying any tax anyway. So, so frankly, no. anything which boosts Sheffield Wednesday's revenue will be looked upon favourably by uh, by our good friends in the tax offices. Good. Your good friends, maybe, Kieran. Um, we spoke... <laughs> <laughs> We spoke. They, they don't seem to realise there's a pandemic on. We spoke last week, Kieran, to Ben Harrison, who was chair of the Tranmere Rovers Trust, and he told us about the links between them and Sunderland fans. And between Tranmere and Sunderland fans, Kieran, they've raised a lot of money for charity this week. Yeah, this is this is absolutely fantastic, and, and we say for all the the negative stories that sometimes come out about football, uh, the work done behind the scenes by clubs and their community operations and fan groups really makes you so proud. So um, the the Papa John's Trophy is due to be taking place shortly. Um, under normal circumstances, it will be at Wembley in front of a you know a pretty much of a sellout. You know, uh, Sunderland would, would uh, Sunderland would take uh, you know best part of forty thousand. Tranmere will be their fourth trip to Wembley in four years. You know, they were expecting a, a, to take a huge amount of people as well. So, so what what the both sets of fans have done is they said, well, we we can't get to the ground, but what we will do instead is that we will sell virtual tickets. Um, so you can go on to various forms of crowdfunding, and if, if you are interested, you know uh, we, we'll we'll put up a link on the uh, on the on the show notes. Where we get uh, we get producer guy to do that. But they've already raised a hundred and forty thousand pounds, mainly going for local community schemes, food banks, and things of this nature. And you've got to say. What an absolutely brilliant effort. You know, the fans are losing out. They're not going to go to these matches, but they say, well, for the money that we've saved, you know, we're going to do good in our community. Fantastic mm. effort. And it's slightly odd as well with the, the Papa John's uh, trophy, the EFL trophy, whatever it is. Um, it's Papa John's. They've paid a lot of money for the sponsorship. I think we should call it the Papa John's trophy. But they're getting a, a lot of value for money because there are two finals going. Because the, the final from last year is also being played the day before this year's final between it's between Portsmouth and Salford City. It, it, is that good news financially for Portsmouth and Salford City, or is it just a kind of token? Let's let's catch up and hopefully one of them will get a, a trophy on the mantelpiece. No, no, there, there is there is prize money involved, so it, it's worth it's certainly worth chasing. Um, and you know, we're talking tens of thousands of pounds rather than millions. But uh, for for any club under present circumstances, uh, a it's a chance to play at Wembley. You know, you think of the number of pl- football players who throughout their career that have never made it. Yeah. You know, for for Salford City, it'll be fantastic for Pompey. Uh, and again, the sad thing is that you know. The, you know, we'd normally expect Pompey to sell 40,000 tickets and, and Salford City would have a, a record number travelling. Mm. So so it's it's just such a shame. But, uh, yeah, certainly the, the matches are worth are worth it from a financial point of view on the day. Yeah, also underlines as well, Kieran, what a loss football is to the business community around Wembley because, you know, that, that Portsmouth-Salford game, like you say, there would be 70,000 fans at it and all of them would be buying... You know, beer from off licenses and and chips from chip shops, and you know that that's money that those businesses are not getting. So we we need to sometimes remember, don't we? That it's not just football that's suffering from there being no football, essentially. Um, and speaking of no football, Berry, of course, rarely far from our lips. Uh, more employment tribunal payouts have been agreed by Berry FC. Yes, um, this is in respect. First of all, one of the guys that used to sell lottery tickets. Yeah, he used to go around knocking on doors, um, and uh, he uh, he was dismissed by Berry Football Club. Um, he put in for a claim for unfair dismissal, 
and, and the the tribunal found in his favour. Uh, so that was sixteen thousand uh, pounds. Ryan Kidd, the youth team manager, he he similarly was was dismissed. That was found to be uh, inappropriate by the club in the way that it was done. The youth team fitness coach, you know, it's it's sadly it, it's a club which has been so mismanaged mm. um, that uh, you're not surprised at these things. But I'm, I'm actually sort of secretly pleased that even though the club is now in administration, these people have felt so angry and so uh, mistreated that they have gone through the appropriate routes. So whilst there have been uh, verdicts in their favour, what will happen is the money due to them will get added to the overall pile of creditors. And then when the administrator, Stephen Wiseglass, hopefully at some point in time sells some assets, um, they won't get the full amount. They will get a, they will get a, a share of the, the ultimate proceeds of the sale of the assets of Berry Football Club. But uh, I, th- I think it's just showing that uh, there were so many people who have been so harshly uh, mistreated mm. in respect of that club. And, uh, you know, they, they had a genuine case uh, in terms of the way that the, the club conducted itself. I'm delighted that the lottery ticket seller has a potential £16,000 coming their way. In actual fact, as you said, they probably won't see any of it. But I'm actually a little bit surprised, Kieran, to hear that a lottery ticket seller was a a proper employee rather than either a volunteer or somebody on a zero-hours contract. Um, Well, I think the club changed his terms of conditions. He'd been Uh, doing this for 13 years, and he was Mr. Lottery as far no, as as Berry Football Club was concerned. So yeah, he was very much sort of the guy sort of that was you know making things happen. Um, he thought he was. Uh, I think it was originally he thought he was self employed, but then it transpired when the club did change the terms and conditions in favour of the club as opposed to him. Um, but uh, he decided to take up his case. Yeah, you'd be amazed how many organisations fail to change terms and conditions in favour of the employee, Kieran. It's, it always tends to be going their way. Now, this this next story, on the face of it, I read it and I and then I researched it, and I, I actually got quite annoyed on the behalf of this club. As um, National League club Boreham Wood have had their application for government winter survival loan money rejected by Sport England, and it's hard to tell whether Chairman Danny Hunter is more surprised or angry. I think I'll probably veer towards angry. And looking into the details, Kieran, I don't blame him. Uh, yeah, it appears to have been rejected on the grounds that they are too well run. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I've applied for loans historically. And, and when you go into the meeting or fill in the forms, if they say, well, congratulations, you know, you've, uh, you've, you've run off of financial affairs in recent years extremely well. Therefore, we're not going to give you any money. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, is, that is an unusual approach. Um, I mean, in terms of Boreham Wood, that there are issues in the sense that the club it has been successful. It's, it's managed to get to the the, the national league itself. Um, it's only got crowds of four hundred, right? Which is which is pretty small, and it was in receipt of two hundred and fifty two thousand pounds of grant money. So it was one of the the clubs that earned more money from the grants than if the matches had actually take, put, taken place. And I think, think Boreham Wood is, is near Barnet, you know, sort of that type of way. Yeah, um, so, so that has caused bad feeling uh, amongst some other fans of National League clubs. But, mm. but this is a separate issue in my mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, we, I think we both take the view that the distribution model used by the National League was poorly thought through i think is the politest way i can describe it mm. um but if the club is is in you know is entitled to apply for a loan and then the loans would be you know long repayment terms low rates of interest and it wanted to and it believed that because it is well run it therefore was would would be able to go and meet meet the repayments um to, to be turned down just seems like lunacy. Well, it, it, I mean, the actual quote in the in the letter, which I, I read yesterday, it says, we acknowledge that you have run the club correctly. Um, but as he said, they don't acknowledge that he's already taken out two loans, remortgaged his house and deferred his tax payment to, to use it on the club. And they've missed out on function hire. They've got an AstroTurf pitch, which makes them a lot of money, which, of course, they've not been able to use. So, they they acknowledge the one thing, but not the thing that they need the money for. And it's also he, he's clearly implying that he was told to apply on the grounds that he would obviously get it. 
yeah. don't quite apply yeah. in the first place. It, it, it's lunacy. It's it's as if the people making the decisions are unaware that for twelve months there has been no football taking place, and and you know that COVID has been around. It, 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 the, the lack of common sense being applied here is 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 mind blowing. Mm. Uh, we very rarely mention Brentford on this pod, Kieran. And when we do, it's normally uh, in a positive vein. And it is today as well. Because as part of their goal to become the most inclusive club in the country, Brentford have placed a slightly unusual advert. Yes, um, they are looking for a non-executive director. Now, this is unheard of in football. And the role of a non-executive director, and it's an unpaid role, Yeah, let, let's be honest, you, you, you might get a few expenses, you might get to see the odd game, is to hold the board of directors to account. It's to say, well, these are the goals that you were set, you set yourself, that you were set by the shareholders that potentially that, uh, that fans were asking for as well. And uh, we're going to assess you on those. So the role of uh, a non-exec is it's, you know, you're supposed to be a critical friend. So mm. You know, this is what we're doing well. This is what the areas we need to improve, because otherwise it, it can be uh, a bit of a lonely place at the top. Um, and also it can you can end up with uh, too many friends who who aren't prepared to do anything apart from clap you on the back. Um, and, and it's good that Brentford are taking this role and they say, you know, we don't care about anything we, 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 we this could go to a woman that we're not concerned about sexuality we're not concerned about uh background we want somebody to, to be representative and given that the efl itself rejected uh the opportunity to have independent directors and and that was one of the the key findings of, of the of the report after uh, berry went bust you know why di- why did things slip so badly uh yeah, it's good to see an individual club is is taking this approach, and huge applause to Brentford. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I I like the notion of critical friend. We've talked about it before. So maybe Guy would like to recast himself then as our non-executive director because he seems to think that critical friend is his main role, essentially. Uh, although recently, I have to say, he's been more critic than friend. I don't know why. He. he thought we spent too much time to talk about turmeric on the last pod. I'm sure he'll be delighted to hear that I deliberately revisited it to annoy him. Um, <laughs> it's childish, isn't it, Kieran? It's, uh, it, it seems a bit odd, Kieran, to anybody but Newcastle fans, I think, to be talking about Newcastle and potential relegation. But if it does happen, uh, it could be even more devastating than normal. Yes. Um, we, we, we reached the issue here of relegation clauses in contracts. Now, they are very much a double-edged sword. Uh, if you drop out of the Premier League, then realistically, for a club like Newcastle, its revenue is going to fall by 60 to £70 million pounds in all probability in the first season and then drop even further should they not bounce straight back up to the Premier League. Um, so therefore, th- there is a logic in saying... If our income's coming down, then we ought to do something to plan for that uh, in terms of cutting our costs. Um, And this was a report, I think it was in the Times, uh, saying that Newcastle don't appear to have relegation clauses. Um, So, you know, they they have a they have a wage bill which exceeds 100 million quid a year. Um, And and the average wages are at 40 grand a week. And if you're doing that on championship income, that can be really scary. I mean, clearly some players will be sold uh, if they do go down. Uh, you know, there, there will be some interest from the Premier League, but you could be end, you could end up with a, a a situation similar to to what we saw in terms of uh, Sunderland uh, with Jack Rodwell, who was who ended up in League One on seventy grand a week. Uh, Nicola Zigic of, of Birmingham. Uh, 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 Jamie O'Hara at Wolves again ended up in uh, in League One, and he didn't have a relegation clause. Now, from from the players' point of view, you can understand this. You, know, you you wouldn't want to sign them, but it really does add to the the challenges of those clubs that are trying to survive following relegation. Why do they not go for these clauses? The clubs will say we want to attract the players, and if a player's got the choice of 
two clubs, both offering the same amount of money, one with a relegation clause and the one one isn't. And you know, with no due, re- due respect, you know, they are clubs of the likes of you know, Burnley, Brighton, Newcastle, uh, and, and so on, who are going to be in the bottom half of the table. Then uh, you, you can understand why the players are making those decisions. But it's putting extra pressure uh, on the club uh, and uh, you know if if the if the Steve Bruce story is mm. true and and we don't know you know it is pure conjecture add this on to the top of that it it does seem that you know Mike Ashley who's a guy who whatever you think of him he's normally known for being a pretty smart when it comes to decision making uh, these decisions aren't looking too clever. Well, there's two things I've written down. You know, Kieran, I, I sometimes make notes when I get the questions through. I make little notes, and normally they're along the lines of, what does this mean? Look it up before you ask, Kieran. <laughs> uh, and and my, I've made two notes on the bottom of this story, and one is Mike Ashley, question mark, because as you say, he's known for his cautious approach uh, to business, especially when it comes to Newcastle United and money. And the second, though, is uh, seriously still, because... You, you only have to look at what happened to QPR as one example of a club that brought in six or seven players and had no relegation clause to see the, you could be heading for a decade of, of pain, couldn't you? And of course, from the players' point of view, I understand that they're competing with Man United and Liverpool, etc. But just from a long-term point of view, unless it's so arrogant as to believe that relegation could never happen, it seems, it seems a, a, a terrible mistake from a club point of view. It's from a sustainability perspective. It's it's very high risk unless the owner is sufficiently wealthy to um, say, "Well, I'm going to pay for uh, all of those contracts down in the championship." Right. But given that given that Mike Ashley is trying to sell Newcastle United at present, if they do drop it down into the championship, who's going who's going to go and buy the club if mm. everybody's on uh, a no relegation clause contract? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the former FA chief executive, Martin Glenn, has won damages after suing a former assistant director of football at Fulham for libel and harassment. Now, just as an experiment, Kieran, I read the first part of that sentence to Ali and stopped at the word suing to see if she could guess who was being sued. And naturally, she went, Kieran? Um, <laughs> and she was delighted to hear it wasn't you. <laughs> so uh, what's this about? Um, this is this is a very strange and unsa- a very unpleasant story as well. Hmm. Um, Martin Glenn, as you say, was uh, you know, senior official at the Football Association, and um, somebody who, who he claims never to have met, and there's no there's no evidence of these two people ever having met, started to make accusations uh, towards him in terms of corruption. And then it starts to get quite insidious about child sexual abuse issues, not not you know not being appropriate in terms of safeguarding uh, what's happened at the FA, um, and and that start that gets unpleasant because if you're you're subsequently applying for other jobs and people say uh, I've, I've seen I've read this on Facebook or I've seen this in mm. Twitter about you yeah. what you know WTF what you know and mm. uh, and and it was genuinely distressing for Martin Glenn so. He, you know, he originally tried to say, please stop it. The person involved, uh, who was a gentleman called Craig Klein, who was in, employed by Fulham, kept making the accusations. Um, and then Mr. Klein started making accusations against Fulham Football Club as well in terms of corruption, uh, making uh, references to Shahid Khan, who's the owner of Fulham Football Club in terms of his uh, his proposals uh, you know a year or two ago of buying Wembley as a stadium and you know what was the purpose behind it and and various accusations and I've got to be honest um Mr Klein has also been sent me quite a few messages um where he was making these accusations and I just filed them under uh, this is nothing to do with me, mm. uh, but they they weren't pleasant. Um, I've spoken to a few other people in football, and uh, they've received similar messages. Um, and Fulham also have uh, have have had successful litigation. Um, they they defended themselves. Uh, our very good friend Nick DeMarco uh, was acting on their behalf. Yeah. So Fulham have been awarded damages as well. Um, it appears that the the person that's made the claims is is not living in the UK. Um, and at a time when you know the role of social media 
uh, is being uh, is very much in the spotlight, uh, it, it does go to show that these things can really really damage individuals who are, who are on the receiving end of these things, uh, both from a, a personal and family perspective, mm. uh, but also professionally as well. Well, also, it's like you you mentioned in passing that he sent you unpleasant things. It's like you're old enough and, and thick-skinned enough to not be worried or upset about them, I'm guessing. But there'll be many people who, who aren't, who would be very distressed by these obviously baseless accusations. So it, that's... Um, that's, that's not a pleasant story at all, but it's one we'll keep a, a, an eye on. Uh, Arsenal, Kieran, published their latest accounts this week. Clever Arsenal, because I see what they're doing there. They, they, they've clearly waited for Sheffield Wednesday to get theirs out and thought, right, Kieran will be distracted by Sheffield Wednesday's accounts. Let's, let's get ours out. He won't notice. But of course you noticed, Kieran. Yeah, it's it's somehow uh, dropped into my uh, <laughs> into my inbox, as these things have a habit of doing. Um uh, we, we 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 talk about the greedy six, you mm. know, and we, we've we've tra- and, and we don't we 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 say that it's we, we say that they're greedy because uh, I, I'm not sure that calling them the big six is appropriate. Um, I think the greedy six are in danger of becoming the greedy five because mm. yes, it was a, a, a pandemic year, um, but we've seen uh, in each of the last four years, you know, when you when you think about football clubs, you think about more and more money coming into clubs well in each uh, since 2017 every year since then arsenal's revenue has gone down and down and down uh and and you know arsenal fans aren't particularly happy um on on the back of that the wages uh you know let's let's not be too sympathetic they're, they're still averaging over a hundred thousand pounds a week but that by premier league standards isn't necessarily competitive you know mm. you're, you're you're on substantially less than uh the likes of manchester united chelsea liverpool uh, and so on and manchester city uh yeah and, and that includes meza ozil's contract so that that will have, have kept that average up so arsenal's accounts they're they're they're, they're not great they're, they're not terrible either uh, they they have borrowed money uh, since the year end from the Bank of England, as we're aware. They still had plenty of money in the bank. They certainly spent a lot of money on players. You know, 182 million quid on signings yeah. in 2020. And I was saying, well, I can't think of a single one who made a difference. You know, and it, mm. you know, you're, you're 182 million quid. It's a ridiculous amount of money. So, is is the money being spent? Yes. Has it made a, a significant difference to the club? Well, if you, if you look at where they are in the table today, no. And, and I think there's, you know, they are in danger of not qualifying for Europe next season, um, which uh, is why clubs of this nature think they have a, an automatic right and, and should be given uh, effectively a free ticket to, to the European table. You remember earlier, Kieran, I said that I make little notes to myself after the questions and, and sometimes they're along the lines of WTF. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I've got a little symbol for myself, which which just says, uh, don't try and say anything funny, get straight into the question because I don't fully properly understand what's happening. Uh, and this is one of them. Um, Guy tells me that Manchester United have ditched the American firm that put their results out early last year. Yes, Um Manchester United is quoted on the New York Stock Exchange, mm. um, and you know, that has certain benefits, but it also has certain regulatory requirements, uh, one of which is that you have to publish your accounts not on an annual basis, but on a quarterly basis. So, so Manchester United have to put out uh, sets of accounts every 13 weeks. So um at the end of quarter one, uh, which was uh, 30th of September 2020, a few weeks later, they were due to publish their results. And um, they'd put out a press release to say they're coming out on, uh, you know, I think it was you know, the 11th of uh, November or something of that nature. And then all of a sudden, uh, 24 hours before they were due to be published, they accidentally appeared on the club website. <laughs> um, and nerds and dweebs happen to be of course getting notifications and they therefore picked up the accounts now this a is embarrassing it makes manchester united look 
unprofessional, even right. though the responsibility for putting this information out was not theirs. It, it was. Uh, it looks as if they had, uh, you know, a, a, some form of public relations agency that was monitoring or in control of certain parts of their website. So um, United were were peeved. It looks like some form of investigation has been uh, undertaken, and on the back of that, the the people that put out the information have been uh, have been told to, to take a hike. But and and you know, whilst we might think, well, that's you know, not not a big story in terms of stock market issues, it is mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. You have to do things when you're supposed to, as far as the stock market is concerned. So when Manchester United sent, said that, that their quarterly, their second quarter results were out, which which were due to come out, um, I think it was last Thursday or Friday, and, and they very kindly phoned us to let us know that they were coming out. Um, you know, every, everything worked worked like clockwork. Um, so you know, this is the case. If, if you don't do your job properly, you, you're going to be punished. Mm. I've just come up with a new symbol, which I'm going to use in future, which is probably big news for accountants. <laughs> uh, one more news story, Kieran, before we talk to Juggy Chima uh, of, the, of the Coventry City fan, which I'm laughing because it was, it was a very funny interview. Um, the new 36-team Champions League could be agreed this month. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion, What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Yes, um, th- there does appear to be broad agreement. Um, this, uh, yeah, and, and, I, and I'm sure you've, you've woken up on occasion, Kevin, and thought, uh, you know, the, the world's, world's not been a great place recently. Clearly, mm. we've had COVID. We, we're aware of huge inequalities in terms of income. There's war taking place in various places, abuses of, high, of, uh, mm. of uh, human rights uh, in connection with, with the sport we love and, and other places. Um, how can things get better? An expanded Champions League mm. is something which we're all looking forward to. Um, it's the only thing that gets me out of bed in the morning, Kieran. To be ex- exactly, that, exactly. That and turmeric is the only thing that <laughs> gets me in the morning. Um, so it looks as if UEFA and the ECA, the European Club Association, are close to reaching some form of agreement. So, so what's going to happen? Um, instead of six group games, uh, there's going to be 10. And we've had uh, people like Agnelli of Juventus saying, well, th- you know, this, this, this is fantastic news. This is what fans want. How on earth are you going to reach that, to reach that conclusion is beyond me. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this, we're going to struggle to fit in all the fixtures with having uh, senior divisions in individual countries that have got 20 clubs, i.e., more of the we want an eighteen club Premier League, yeah. which I think the Premier League clubs themselves will will uh, will push back against. Um, and then, well, what's going to happen to the four extra clubs in the Champions League? Um, now, you know, we we feel that that should be on merit. 
I think, you know, because that's how we grew up in terms of football. If you were better than the other football club and scored more goals, you progressed to the next round of the cup or you got promoted. Well, according to Mr. Agnelli, that's not what he wants because he doesn't want clubs with a lack of uh, a lack of the gravitas. But if you take a look at Juventus, his club, who knocked them out of the uh, who knocked them out of the Champions League last night? It's Porto. Yeah. And who did it a couple of years ago? It was yeah. Ajax, and then yeah. they they've been knocked out the last three occasions from teams which he considered to be from farmers leagues. Um, but these farmers league teams, they've got one thing in common: they know how to win football matches. So what they're going to try to do is to have um, those clubs that don't do particularly well domestically um, to pick up some of these additional places, um, which could be good news for, for Premier League clubs that, that finish fifth or sixth. And it's going to be based on how you have done in European competitions in the last five or six years. So you, you could end up with a, with a crazy situation of, uh, yeah, let's say that, that West Ham or Leicester finish mm. fifth in the Premier League this season, they go into the Europa League, uh, Arsenal or Liverpool finish sixth, and they go into the Champions League. And can anybody explain to me that that is good for football? I've got a feeling, Kieran, that Signor Agnelli doesn't listen to the Price of Football pod. I'm sure he's got other things on his mind. He He might listen in his earphones on his way to work. I don't know. But... When he says it's what fans want, I'm going to disagree with him. It just makes it, I mean, this is purely anecdotal, but I just wonder if you even realise that the vast majority of people you speak to, when you tell them about expanded tournaments, new tournaments, the response is always, oh, Jesus, really? No one, no, no football fan wants it. No one, I don't think any football fan really wanted the Champions League group stage in the, in the first place, let alone all these new tournaments. And then, because especially when it, 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 the rug is taken from feet because if you sold it to a club, going well, this could be your chance to get into Europe. But now Senior Ronelli is going well, it's not because we don't want those clubs in Europe. And to refer to to clubs like Porto and Ajax as having no no background in Europe is just shockingly disrespectful. It really is, and it and it it kind of leads us into our interview, Kieran, which is with, with a, a football fan who I think is probably of our mind on that one. As a few weeks ago, you remember, we spoke about Coventry City on our questions pod, and we pretty much agreed, you and I, Kieran, which is unusual, that Sisu, the club owners, were the villains of the piece and were universally disliked by the fans. But an old friend of mine, Hello Basky, got in touch to say it wasn't as simple as that, which is why we ended up chatting to Juggy Chima of the Leamington and Warwick Coventry City Supporters Club uh, about their relationship with the owners and, of course, about a legendary pub called The Rocket. Juggy, thank you very much for joining us today on Price of Football. Before we talk about the future, tell us a little bit about the past. What's it been like to be a Coventry City fan in recent times? Well, it's been, um, well, have boots will travel, I think, is the uh, motto that we've had. We're probably the only club that seems to just... Pitch up and turn up at different different clubs' grounds. To be honest with you, uh, Northampton came back, Birmingham, and now we're back again. And um, yeah, it's been a strange old time. I think um, not only not only the but, but the issue around travelling. I mean, what the geography. I think on a on a more serious note is that a lot of city fans have had to sort of grapple with their conscience about: Do you still go? Do you mm. still still follow the club? And all the things with the owners, are you willing to put that behind you? Is it about supporting the manager and the, and the players or is it about getting involved in the sort of finer details or should we say, as I say, finer details and mm. more, more of the off-field stuff? So, yeah, it's been a, a difficult time emotionally for a lot of City mm. fans. Uh, and then especially we've had, you know, what, compared to our history, we've had quite a bit of uh, success. And do you celebrate that? And some people have really put themselves firmly in the camp of the owners must go, and then it's very hard to celebrate that for those people. But, yeah, difficult, difficult, I think, is the word I'd use. Well, we'll come on to the owners, but, Kieran, obviously, as as a Brighton fan, you know a little bit about the life of an itinerant football supporter, don't you? Yes, we had uh, two years at Gillingham, which was pretty grim, you know, Uh, 140-mile round trip for a home game, and it just saps the the energy out of everything. So, you know, Juggie's got – and all all the Cov fans have got 
huge sympathies, I think, from from fans of all the other 91 clubs. No, nobody wants to see you as a tenant. Yeah. Well, as you know, do you know what I miss, Juggy? I miss, yeah, I, no. miss High, I miss Highfield Road, but more important, I miss the Rocket. That was a for wow. people, somebody. Somebody will be listening to this in Mauritius now or Australia, and they won't know the the joys of the Rocket in Coventry on a match day. And sadly, it's gone, isn't it? Yeah, if you're from the era of the likes of uh, Frank Stapleton and Super Sub, but the boy at Liverpool with the ginger hair, yeah, I mean, then you will know the Rocket Pub. You get off the train station, and the police would sort of uh, sort of direct you towards the Rocket Pub, and then you run the gauntlet to get to Highfield <laughs> Road. I mean, we used to drink in um, a place called Far Gosford Street, and that was another place that you had to walk. But these, you know, it was great because. Well, I say it was great. We do. I think. I think we looked through it a little bit, rose-tinted specs. But that's my era. My era is late seventies, eighties, and then, but the nineties, and then obviously get married and have kids, and you have to sort of be a little bit more sensible. But but the thing is that they were town centre pub um, grounds, so they were town centre pubs, and then it was it was absolutely fantastic. I'm actually thinking about the rocket. We once walked in there and said, this is most definitely the worst pint of bitter I've ever had in my life. But you're still used to go back to the Rockies. Okay. Yeah. Do you know what, Jogi? We we interview quite a few people with high profiles on this pod. We interview ex-players, we interview club chairmen, but I'd, I'd much rather be talking to a fan about terrible beer in the 80s and 90s than I would about the club f- politics. But it, it looks, Juggy, at least like you could be moving back to the city because as we speak on Wednesday afternoon, the EFL are discussing a possible deal to return to the Rico. Are you hopeful? Well, it's actually, but the news has broken here that we're back at the Rico. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, great. Live on air. Brilliant. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, so the um, it was announced this morning, ten, uh, ten year, a 10-year deal. I don't know what that but I haven't picked the bones out of that one yet. Yeah. But, but there's uh, photographs of our uh, chief executive, Dave Body. Nice guy. Genuinely nice bloke. Really, people are going to find this amazing. Someone's going, chief executive, nice bloke. But the only bloke I know who gets on a supporters club coach on the way back from an away game, and and they actually sing his name. So that's another story that you probably have to pick up with Dave. But, um, yeah, um, 10 years, back of the Rico from next season. Absolutely fantastic. Well, the the CEO of Palace listens to this, so I have to point out now that he's a nice bloke as well, just just so he doesn't get upset. Um, is is the Rico Juggy now seen as the spiritual home of Coventry, or would you rather have a ground owned by the club in the city, or you know, if you have to move to the grounds of Warwick University, for example, would you be happy with that? But is, is the Rico your home now? Do you think? Kevin, thing is, mate, I, but you know what it is is. And this happened to me like a few years ago. I went on this journey of sort of looking at questions. I'd, for years and years, I'd sort of looked at the owners and we're dropping through the leagues and I was getting involved in arguments with people or being quite kind of uh, militant in terms of what was happening off the pitch and getting getting really into a tiz about it. And then we were sat in a true story, sat in the pub uh, in Coventry before the Charlton game and we were going down. We were down. We we're in the fourth division. Never, never did I think that I would be in the fourth division. Actually, I say back. In, I say back in the fourth division because my dad is a Wolves fan. He used to take me watch Wolves in the eighties, and they went on exactly the same journey. I was thinking, people say that you end up like your dad. Well, that's exactly what happened. And, uh, and 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 what it is 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 it our spiritual home? Well, people still pine for Highfield Road. But unless you're going to play in sort of you know, break people's windows because there's like flats there now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that isn't going to happen. So yeah. bottom line is, if we ended up at, I mean, like we still sing the song, you know, take me home, you know, to Highfield Road, blah, yeah. blah, blah, and all that. So it's as near as near as it's going to get to a spiritual home. It's between you and me, you know, it's like it's it's like a lot of the new grounds. Some people call it a soulless bowl. When, it, when it's full, it's only been full once, but when it's full, it's uh, bouncing. It's very much like Derby's ground, Middlesbrough's ground, you know, but they are what they are. They are functional, modern stadia. So spiritual home, as much as it can much as it can be, that's yeah, it is. You know, I mean, what else can we do? You know, I mean, yeah. what else like, you know, what else can we go to? Before we talk a little bit about your owners, can I bring Kieran in here? Because this is this is really good news that the the move back to Rico has been 
confirm, but there were rumours that it might cost quite a lot of money, Kieran, to end the ground share deal. Is that true? Um, I'm not. I'm not convinced. Uh, it all depends upon the the T's and C's. So, uh, in terms of getting out of Birmingham, I thought it was a 12 month uh, sort of deal, which which was effectively re-signed on on each summer's uh, every year. Uh, so, with fingers crossed, it won't cost uh, Coventry too much. Let, let's talk, Juggy, a little bit about your attitude to see through the club's owners because. A couple of weeks ago, Kieran and I talked about it on the pod, and we both assumed that all Coventry fans were hostile to Sisu. But we had a couple of messages from Coventry fans indicating that's not necessarily true. No, and it's not. And I'll tell you why. Partly because of, I wouldn't, well, it wasn't a movement as such, but in 2017, we started the first supporters club. So it's quite a big area, not far from Coventry. And we had the mantra because we got sick and tired of people sort of going on us included, to be honest, about the owners. And we said, look, why did we come into following the team and fall in sort of love with the club? It's because of the players and what the managers. So we had this mantra, back the lads and back up the gaffer. And we found, actually, there was quite a sizable, silent majority, I would say, that actually went along with that. that but, but the vocal... But the vocal minority, although their points are 100% valid, there's a lot of people out there that said, I just want to go to the games and I just want to enjoy the away day. I just want to support the lads. Because 10 minutes into a game, it'd start, we want C2 out, we want C2 out. And so there was this kind of sort of silent kind of majority that that, that, that sort of jumped on that kind of, not jumped on the bandwagon, but they said, yeah, that's what we agree with. And then what happened, and, and it always is this kind of... Um, coming together of a load of events. So the club's gone down into the fourth division. You can moan as much as you want at the owners now, but we're playing no disrespect to Barnet, no disrespect to Carlisle. I suppose by saying this, I probably am, but no disrespect to those guys because, you know, we, we, we were there on, on our merit, so to speak. And then the club signed a guy by the name of Michael Paul Doyle again. Yeah. And Doyle had played for Coventry and he came back from Portsmouth and he, and he's, lives locally and his wife and his girls are big Coventry fans. And he's, and he rang me. He said, I know what you're trying to do because I've come here for one reason, get this football club out of the fourth foot division and to get them closer to the fans. And he brought the players closer together. And what we found was that the majority of fans, they just want to be close to the players and have that connection with them and with the manager. And we started that. Then we had what success. And you know what? When you get success, what the owners are doing doesn't make any difference at all. It doesn't make any difference to, to the what to the common fan. And people also get a lot of a lot of people run their own small businesses or whatever, and they get if you spend above your above your sort of income level. Hey, listen, lads, we was we signed Gary McAllister on the back of back of Euro '96 on tens of thousands a week when we had crowds at the right Highfield Road of thirteen thousand. Yeah, now. Who's, who's going to pay that? And you know what? We've been through a journey where we found that out. So we live within our means and there's enough supporters out there that follow, but that follow the city that go, do you know what? We get it. We absolutely get it. That, you know, we've got the third lowest budget in what the championship. If we finish fourth from bottom this season, happy days. And that realism, mate, when you, when you look at the fixture list and, you, and you're in the fourth tier of English football, you got to wake up and smell the coffee. And I'm from an era of, of of supporters where there was two things with City fans back in the 80s and 90s. We had number one, we were realistic. We didn't expect to win a trophy every year. Well, he won one in a hundred and thirty odd when we won the FA Cup. And the other thing is patience. The amount of last day survival battles that we had. We had a, a record, I think, in the top flight in our 34 years there, consecutive. Got to got to get that in. Um, and the thing is, we're, and, and we're patient. And you know what? That that supporter of my age group came to the fore and said, you know what? There's been all this moaning for years and all it's got us is into the fourth division. And as I say, Dave Boddy came along, who's the chief executive. Doyler came along and their aim was to bring the fans and the club closer together. That's where that was born from. So, yeah, yeah. Mate, listen, you know, lads, you're going to get this not one penny more what brigade and Fine, and I totally get what they're coming from. I'm not criticising them. But to me, it's a Saturday afternoon. 
it's my passion. I just want to follow the lads, whether we win or we lose or draw, whatever what division we're in, I want to enjoy it, you know. See, you mentioned, Juggy, about your supporters club, the Levington and Warwick, which is an area I know quite well because my wife's from Kenilworth. But it's the first one to be reformed or created for a long, long time. Is that a sign then that you think that fans now are ready and willing to come back to get behind Coventry after, like you say, a very difficult time? Well, yeah. I mean, we had 40-odd thousand went to Wembley in the checker trade and that was when the season we, we were going down... Lads, I call it third division, fourth division, so you can get an idea of the age of the era that I'm from. But um, but it, but I mean, in, yeah. Well, but in old money, we were going down forty odd thousand for, let's face it, a pretty pointless game at Wembley. Uh, people went for the occasion, and then obviously, but the but the uh, the, the final at Wembley, um, the playoff final, it was an occasion, but it had a lot resting on it. That was not a pointless game probably one of the biggest games in our recent history because I think any more seasons in League League Two, fourth division, I don't think the club will be back where they are in the championship now. So the thing is, one thing one thing you find as well is but the but the more modern football fan, they want to enjoy the day and they want to support their club. And do you know what? They've had enough of, you know, day in, day out, you know, hassles in their own life for them to suddenly get involved in business sort of running a football club. So there is a, a yeah, and, and and you know what we did is that, but the supporters club reformed it. It, it. it ended in 1982, so it had been 35 years, and people just wanted to come to the meetings. They wanted to see the play, the players. That was another thing we found. But the but the football club to start with was were, were, were very very nervous about sending players to the meetings because yeah they were saying yeah they were saying you know we don't want to cop any flack. Because all they ever heard from from the terrorists, not all, but there was a lot of negativity. So the divide between the players and the um, the, but the fans is huge. And now there's supporters clubs springing up all up and down the country. I mean, City have a really sort of you know wide wide fan base, and because I always say wherever you travel in the world, you will find a, a cop fan. You will find a cop fan everywhere. And the thing is. Yeah, but you do. It's a really, really strange club in that in that respect. But that's what happened is that, um, you know, there was a lot of fans and they loved the evenings. We did one every six weeks and the club sent down two players. And then we've also started bringing in former players. They are unbelievable. Fantastic stories about Gary. We've had Gary Thompson down, John Williams, the flying postman, uh, Peter, Peter, goal of the century, Bodak, um, who's a really, really good mate of ours. And they all come down and tell and, um, Brian Roberts. We've had them all down, ex-City players, come down and to, you know tell their stories. And the fans love it. And it's, you know, that's what people want. They just want to be closer to the club. They want to be closer to the, to the um, players and the manager. And they just want to know what's going on. And that buys the team a bit of time as well, you know. But that, but that buys them time on the pitch. You mentioned your manager uh, Juggy and to an outsider, it looks like Mark Robbins has done a, a brilliant job for the club on and off the pitch. Is that is that fair, mate? First class, absolutely first class. I mean, the guy, um, you know, I but I put him down as one of probably the best three managers. I wouldn't say he's the greatest manager we've had, but he's definitely up there in the top three. I'm not going to give you the Brian Clough quote, not the best, but in the top one. I'm not. I'm not going to give you that, <laughs> but I will definitely say he's one of the best managers that we've had. And he did inherit a really, really difficult uh, situation. What he's done, whether you call that luck or whether you call that something that he's um, sort of, you know, what developed is, he's, he, he's, he's had a really good set of people around him. I've spoken about Dave Body. I've spoken about the players on the pitch and strong characters. But also, there's a guy who's got his right-hand man who's our first-team coach, A.D. Vivash or Vivash. I'll be depending on if you... Were like a Reading fan or a Chelsea fan, how you pronounce his surname. He is the brains off the pitch. So what Mark Robbins does, he's a manager of a football club and he manages the club very well. You know, he leaves the coaching generally to AD. He leaves the running of the club to Dave Body, but he oversees everything and, you know, and the signings and everything as well have been absolutely top, top true. We've had one or two that haven't hit it, but generally he's made some unbelievable signings. Got a guy down here, came from, came from Pex Voller, from Holland, Gus Hamer. He, I mean, 
I suppose, what I was going to say, don't say it too loud, but it's on a podcast. But I was saying he's he's way way above the level that we're playing at. A guy uh, called Callum um, uh, Callum O'Hare got him from the Villa. Again, I'd be surprised if he's playing for us for too much longer. But I'm, I'm giving you all our secrets here, lads. Listen, we're going to go down next next year because because of this podcast. I tell you, but no, absolutely super. Robin, yeah, Robins, Robins. You, but you cannot cannot fault the guy. It's been brilliant to talk to you, Juggy, and I. I don't think any football fan would begrudge the fact that it looks like things are starting to move in the right direction for Coventry. But we're all we're all dreamers, Juggy. We all look we all look ahead with our clubs. When you think about what where Coventry will be in in ten years' time, do you think you'll still be owned by CSU? Do you think you'll be in the brand new stadium in Warwick University, which looks brilliant, or or do you think do you worry that all this will still be going on? Uh you asked me like a. Do you know what? With this football club, like with my football club, I don't look more than more than the next season. If I'm being honest with you, if somebody had said to me ten Fair years point. ago, you know, yeah, if somebody said to me in 2011, yeah. this is where we would be and the journey we would have been on. I mean, I'll never forget the first game in the championship. We travelled to Stockport away, and we and we were singing to them. We'll, we took over two sides of the ground, a little bit big time yeah. Charlie coming down for Premier League, and we said we'll never sing you. We'll never play you again. We were right because they went down, and, and 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 the thing is, you know, we thought it was a, we did. We thought it was a one season. All the t-shirts were out. Yeah. You know, we're on a we're on a championship tour. Um, we did the same at League One. Ended up at Yeovil on the first day. All the flares and balloons, and after fifteen minutes, we were one nil down. But the realities hit home. So you know, at the end of the day, lads, I don't have a problem with anybody being the owners. I just they show a bit of respect for the fans. I get it's a business. I get they're not going to spend money that they don't have. I get that they probably want to pull a few quid out. Don't have a problem with that. But show a bit of respect for the fans. If we're at the Rico in 10 years' time, great. Do I think a stadium at Warwick Uni? I know the site well. It'll be interesting to get a, to get a ground there and get fans in and out. I mean, really, the ideal scenario is that we have a lovely what relationship with Wasps and we ground share. There's nothing to say we can't mm. do that mm. till, till the day dot. Um, and it'd be good if we could get 50% share. Well, I say we, it doesn't make a difference to me, you know, but I hope CSU get what they want because then they, they will fund the club. And that's all I'm bothered about as a fan. I want to see us signing players. I want to see us winning games of football. I want to see us go on cup runs. You know, I, I know a lot of local fans, Wolves fans and Albion fans, and they say one thing, don't wish you get into the Premier League, but, but I'd love to go get back in the Premier League. It might be a different beast from when we left it, but... I just want to see my team win games of football and enjoy my Saturday afternoons that we've done for nearly 40 years now, you know. So, yeah, just just put me in that hole. Put me in that hole in the ground when we've won on the Saturday before. That's all I'm saying. That's all I want, OK, with a smile on my face. That'll do me, lads. That'll do Juggy, me. that's... It- that's that, that that's that's a brilliant way to end this interview. Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you, Juggy. Thank you, mate. Cheers, lads. Uh, Kieran, I, it's it's really interesting. We spoke about you knowing about the the travails of a a, a, a travelling fan who had, they haven't got their own ground, etc. But I thought it was really interesting that when Juggy ended by saying that. 90% of Coventry fans now have accepted that CSU are the owners and they just want to get they just want to get on with that now. They just want this is the relationship. We all want to get on with it. He he said, as you said, it, it doesn't mind CSU making money, but as long as they've got some respect for the club and its traditions. And I was I, I kind of it, it's it's interesting to hear that because you and I have for years just assumed that Every single Coventry City fan hates CSU, and clearly there are Coventry City fans who won't go while CSU are running the club. But he he said he he looks forward to going to watch football in Coventry, and he's not that fussed about who the owner is. So I suppose it, it proves that for most fans, it's the eleven players on the pitch that's important, rather than the the people in the, the executive box. Yes, and I think compared to what we hear from you know, Newcastle fans with regards to Mike Ashley and Manchester United fans with regards to the Glazers. Um, I th- there's, there's a certain element here of, of what's happened at Blackburn Rovers with the Venkies. Mm. Initially, yeah, there yeah. was an awful lot of hostility, but uh, Coventry have been losing money on a regular basis since Sisu took over. And you know the fans have, have looked at the numbers and said, well, yeah, we, we don't 
particularly like some of the stuff you're doing at the same time uh you know you are putting your hands in your pockets and and you have you have provided some financial support again you can't make that accusation at the glazers because they take money out of the club um and mike ashley i, I think he's simply beyond redemption in the eyes of newcastle fans but um you know also you know are we going through the five stages five stages of grief here and and we've reached acceptance as far mm. as cov fans are concerned yeah, do you know what? That that five stages of grief is a very good point, and the Venkis is a very good analogy. I wish I'd thought of both of them before the interview. It's it's, an, it's no good you throwing these really interesting points in now, Kieran, after Juggy's gone. Because, uh, you, know, you know, Guy simply hasn't got the time for us to say, can you get Juggy back? Well, I ask him these two questions at the end, which I should have thought of. Um, I'm not entirely sure I would have got a word in edgeways with Juggy because he, <laughs> he was a chatty little Coventry fan, wouldn't he? Which is, which is absolutely right. And I, I just... I, well, I love, you know, I love, I love football fans. You just, you just wind them up and you point them in the right direction. I will talk to any football fan of any club all night, and it's really nice to listen to someone that passionate about his club. And also, I don't think any any football fan would begrudge commentary getting back to their city and in you know, a ground in their city and just not having to trudge up and down motorways like like you know. But anyway, um, anyway, before this gets too too deep and meaningful, Kieran, which is something we both, as, mid, <laughs> as middle-aged men, we both try and steer clear of. If you have a question for our uh, questions pod, which is Mondays, uh, regarding any aspect of football finance, email us on questions at priceoffootball.com and I shall leave you in the capable hands of Mr. Kieran Maguire to say goodbye. Well, once again, folks, thank you for your support. Uh, if you enjoy the show, uh, please please join us. Please, please like us um, and, and follow us. Uh, by pressing the, the 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 buttons, which I believe, because I saw something come up from uh, producer guy today, that uh, Apple are no longer saying please subscribe, just please follow the show. Um, and apart from that, stay safe and look after yourselves. The Bye, son, for the